Tonight, we are looking at Revelation 8 through 11, the seven trumpets of judgment and the two witnesses. And reviewing a little bit, uh, uh, you remember that uh, the approach uh, that we're taking is the parallel approach that uh, you're looking at the same landscape. The landscape would be the period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Uh, you're your uh, view that uh, would be like here's Newell's view, William R. Newell. Uh, Newell would take the uh, position that uh, everything being described, your futurist view, that everything being described is uh, what's going to take place after the rapture of the church. Once you get to uh, chapter 4, verse 1, where John is caught up to heaven, that that really pictures the church being caught up, according to Newell and uh, Tim LaHaye and people like that. <clears throat> and uh, that, uh, so that's the, the futurist view. Everything is actually dealing with things that are not taking place right now. <clears throat> uh, although he'd say there's seven letters that those are periods of church history, and we'd be one of those letters right now, probably the last letter. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, uh, we would we would say that uh, in this parallel view, we're looking at the landscape and, and the seven letters would be <clears throat> the conditions in those seven churches represent the conditions in the entire church throughout this entire period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And then uh, uh, you, uh, John is caught up to heaven. He sees this throne in chapter 4 and uh, he's, everything is gathered around the throne. And here's God's sovereignty. Very important because now uh, the Lamb is going to go to God and He's going to be given this this uh, scroll that's written on both sides which represents the plan of God for history and He's going to start opening the seals and when He opens the seals these horses come riding out and uh, the first one is white and that represents Christ on that horse uh, going forth to conquer but then following Him you get this next horse which would represent persecution of Christians and then another horse which would, recommend, which would represent the economic persecution of Christians. And then the next horse is death, uh, as experienced by everybody. Not just Christians, but everybody experiences death. And uh, that's happening all the time. Those horses are riding today, according to this view. So we backed up and we're going through this whole period again. As the church holds out the light, the lampstands, your seven lampstands, what does the world do? The world persecutes the church, and the persecution takes different forms. One form, economic persecution. Think of how it was in Russia or in China or whatever, uh, where if you were a Christian, uh, you couldn't uh, get any kind of decent job. Your children couldn't go to college, all these kind of things. Economic persecution. And um, then uh, uh, then uh, you had uh, the sealing uh, of the uh, 144,000. We said that that 144,000 represents all the saved uh, throughout this whole period of time as a symbolic number. Uh, that uh, just like Jerusalem, those are the kind of figures you find for the, for the uh, measurements of the walls of Jerusalem, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, that pictures uh, the whole saved body of people, uh, both Old and New Testament, not just throughout this period of time, but the, all the saved from all ages. And another view of it is he sees uh, people that uh, no one can number from every tongue and tribe and nation, same group. Uh, 144,000 symbolizes all the saved throughout all of history. And actually there will be from every tongue and tribe and nation a, a number that no one can number. So... Uh, <clears throat> here these people are being brought and they are being sealed uh, so that they are kept and they are protected they may experience uh, persecution all these things but nonetheless they are kept by God they are sealed so that uh, they are not really hurt by the disasters that that uh, hit the world now tonight we are coming to the seven trumpets when you get to the last seal well, you find that the last seal is seven trumpets let's have a word of prayer Father, as we look at your word, we pray that you would guide us now and help us to understand and uh, to apply to daily living these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you've got your outline there, uh, we're starting off then with the 
uh, on <clears throat> page uh, 8, where it says, Part 3, The Seven Trumpets of Judgment, chapters 8 to 11. That's what we'll be covering tonight. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> You had your seals of persecution. As we saw, as the seals are often these horses ride out in different forms of persecution. And uh, these trumpets do not represent uh, separate single events. When a trumpet blows and a third of all the crops are destroyed, that's not some separate event. Say if you took uh, Newell or you took uh, Tim LaHaye or someone like that, they would say, Okay, when these trumpets blow, that's going to happen. There's going to be a time coming when a third of all the vegetation in the world is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a time when a third of all the life in the sea is going to be destroyed, and so on. These will be events that take place after the rapture of the church and before the coming of Christ all the way to the earth during the tribulation period, during the seven-year period, according to them. But I'd say no. These, these are things that are happening today. When a, uh, when a river uh, floods uh, over in... Ohio or somewhere, and uh, that's that's part of this destruction that takes place here. Uh, when there's a crop failure somewhere, that's that's happening right now today, and that that's been happening and will happen throughout this whole period of time. Uh, and uh, so they're not different uh, events one after another; they're taking place all along here. Uh, and just just like the persecution, the seals are taking place all along. God's response, a trumpet warns. And when these things happen, it's God warning the world for its persecution of the church as the church holds out the light. Now, uh, that's God's initial judgment, so just a third of the crops are burned up, or just a third of the creatures in the sea, and so on. Uh, not all, whole world in destroyed. That's His final judgment. These are these are initial judgments that he brings about on the world. Now, uh, to just uh, compare that with Newell's view here, let me read you what uh, William R. Newell would say. He says uh, that uh, the heaven under the sixth seal was removed as a scroll when it is rolled up. It says uh, that uh, if you if you I'm going to look back at where he comments on that. You remember we said that when the heaven is rolled up as a scroll in chapter six and verse twelve and so on, that's the end of the world. We've hit the end of the world. You moved uh, from <clears throat> uh, the first coming to the second coming into the end of the world, and then you back up and you say, okay, now. Uh, we're going to see what's, what God is doing here during that period of time. Well, here's how he comments on that uh, in the sixth chapter. He says, Men in terror, when that happens, the darkening of the sun and the moon, the, uh, the sky rolling up like a scroll, etc. He says, Men in terror believe, they believe the end has come. Actually, the end can't come for seven more years, you see, according to his theory. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, 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 they, when it doesn't come they believe the end has come when it doesn't come they grow hardened like Pharaoh and we see them in Revelation 19.19 19, boldly gather to war against the Lamb no when the sky is rolled up that's the end that's what Christ talks about in Matthew 24 as the end and uh, that's uh, what Peter talks about in Second Peter 3 when it talks about uh, that there be uh, <clears throat> the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works of therein shall be burned up. That's what he's talking about there. Uh, <clears throat> Newell says uh, that uh, God, uh, <clears throat> when God says that such and such events, like the destruction of a third of the uh, agriculture and so on takes place, they will take place. It's a folly uh, to pretend that uh, the trumpet judgments have already been fulfilled in church history, that these things are going on now. Uh, these things come to pass after church things 
4.1, after the church has left. Well, remember, it doesn't say the church was caught up. It says John was caught up. I was reading another writer, and he says, well, you'll say to me, where does the church leave? And he says, in the blank space between chapter 3 and the end of chapter 3 and the start of chapter 4. In the blank space? Uh, there's nothing written about it. Uh, now, looking here then uh, at uh, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, he got these seven seals, and uh, as we said, the sixth seal was the sky rolling up and so on. That's the end of the world. We've moved up to that. But now there's a seventh seal. When he opens the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, there are those who believe in the light of this verse that there are not going to be any women in heaven. Uh, uh, I didn't say I believe that. There was some here. And uh, I saw the the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Uh, this You get this kind of scene like you had in the temple of the tabernacle where you have an altar and you have the Ark of the Covenant so on, the throne of God was the Ark. And uh, so here are these angels that stand at the uh, altar there and they're given incense uh, to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. You had two altars. You had the altar burnt offering outside the temple per se. And then you had inside, you had this altar of incense, the golden altar of incense where they would burn incense. And uh, that represented the prayers of Christ, but also the prayers of the saints as, as we pray. And you remember these saints are being persecuted and they're praying about God. What are you going to do about this? Uh, how long, O Lord? Uh, we saw that earlier. And uh, <clears throat> help and so on. Now the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashing lightning, and an earthquake. God is going to judge the earth for its persecution of the Christians as the church is holding out the light. Here's this idea of a trumpet warns. And so here's this censer of fire thrown down on the earth in response to these, the cry of the saints. Uh, how long, O oh Lord, before you avenge our blood? They don't avenge themselves. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, answer of God is he pours out fire there. And then the first trumpet and the burning of the vegetation in chapter uh, 8, verse 6, the seven angels uh, had the seven trumpets prepared to sound. And the first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came forth hail and fire mixed with blood. It was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the earth was burned up. Now, if you take the view of New well, you've got to say that's going to happen after you leave. <laughs> you say, I'd like it to happen after I leave. Well, that's a pleasant idea. But I would say, no, it's happening all along. Anytime you have some catastrophe that destroys your crops and so on, that's happening. That's God and warning the world, throwing out judgment on the world. Uh, the uh, uh, God brings affliction here to the persecutors of the church. And you say, well, it doesn't just happen when crops are destroyed. It doesn't just happen to persecutors of the church. Uh, it happens to Christians. Their crops get destroyed. Uh, they go through famine. Yes, but they are sealed. So it doesn't really hurt them. Uh, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called. It may result in their death by famine. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> when a ship sinks, uh, do all the Christians float? No. Wouldn't take much faith to be a Christian, right? But when the Christian dies, did that really hurt him? No. That's graduation day, you know. Uh, the uh, next trumpet at... Uh, is the burning of the sea. In verse 8, says the second trumpet, sound of the trumpet, and the angel sound of the trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures of the sea 
died and a third of the ships were destroyed. And uh, <clears throat> then you get, uh, and you know, this would be like when uh, hurricanes hit and those kind of things. Uh, uh, and this is like the plagues of Egypt when God smote Egypt with various plagues as they were punishing his people there and wouldn't release them. Uh, sort of similar here. Some of it affected water there. Third trumpet in uh, verse 10. Third angel sounded the trumpet, a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter. Many of the people died from the waters that had become bitter. And then the, the next trumpet, the fourth trumpet, a plague from heaven. Fourth angel sounded the trumpet, a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars. Uh, so that a third of them turned black. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Uh, and as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in the middle, in the midair, calling out in a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. So here's the announcement of greater judgment yet to come. Now, in the fifth judgment says, uh, Verse chapter 9, verse 1, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, uh, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but uh, only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead, that 144,000 uh, who were sealed, or that number which no man can number, you know, from every tongue and tribe and nation. They're not really hurt by this. Uh, <clears throat> these locusts are demonic forces. Uh, notice what's said here. In verse uh, 5, they were not given power to kill them, the people that they hurt, but only to torture them for five months, a, a limited period of time. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were so, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpion, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, that's Satan, uh, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek Apollyon, and it means destroyer. Uh, here's the here's Satan the destroyer who uh, he uh, releases these demonic beings who uh, torment people now, you don't have to uh, read much occult literature or even see many mission films or talk to missionaries without realizing that uh, people who are really involved with the demonic suffer terribly in many ways and uh uh, it's a horrible type of thing there. Uh, so uh, they work on the wicked here, not not the sealed, but the wicked. Not to kill, but to torment with dread and despair for a definite period of time. Now, it's, he's granted things by God. When it says he is granted to do this, uh, uh, this is all God in control of all this. Uh, the sixth trumpet is verse... 13, or verse 12, uh, the first war is past of those last three. The two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. Again, we're back to this same altar where the prayers go up. So here's uh, prayer. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who abound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. Now, uh, this 
loose the four angels. Uh, these are angels of evil. They're demons. And they're going to kill a third of the part of mankind. You've had the crops destroyed. You've had uh, uh, the waters and so on. Now they're going to kill a third of mankind. In uh, verse 15 there, it says, The four angels have been kept ready this very hour to release to kill a third of mankind. This is war. One of God's ways of, of punishing uh, uh, judgment on unbelievers here is war. And so here you've got 200 million uh, people involved here. Uh, and uh, the uh, you have uh, they says that the people who are wielding the weapons here are uh, the mouths and tails of horses. Uh, it talks about in verse 17, uh, the horses and the riders I saw in my vision look like this. Their breastplates were fiery, red, dark blue, yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resemble the heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire and smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke and sulfur that came off of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. Here's the their heads like snakes. Here's again demonic force at work, stirring up warfare, and uh, the result of it is a third of people are being destroyed. Again, that every war that's taken place, World War II, Korean War, all your wars through history would be pictured here. Now hold your hold your uh, and the result of all this, God's all right, here's the church holding out the light, the lampstands. Here's the world, the four horses, in a sense, persecuting believers as they hold out the light. Then here's God sending judgments on the world all through this period of time between Christ's first coming and second coming as the church holds out the light. What's the effect of these judgments on the world? Does the world repent? Notice what's said here. In uh, verse 20, the rest of mankind, those who are not killed, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or talk or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now hold your place here and look back at Amos chapter 3. Where God is dealing with Israel about its sin, and uh, He sends uh, plagues to turn them from their sin. Now look at Amos chapter three and verse six. Uh, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Now, no such thing as accidents. You can say, well. Can't Satan cause a hurricane to come? Yep. That's what he did to Job. He sent a hurricane to destroy Job's children. And it killed all of his children. And destroyed their house. But Satan couldn't have done it unless God allowed him. And so ultimately it came from God. And God acknowledged that. I remember Jesus said, Not a sparrow falls without your heavenly Father. So shall there be disaster in a city and the Lord has not done it. Uh, there are no accidents and in the sense of it wasn't under the control of God and if God allowed it in a sense it came from his hand now uh, so look at chapter 4 of Amos and uh, start uh, with verse 17 of chapter 4 uh, well let's start with chapter let's start with verse 7 of chapter 4 of Amos God says, I withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. And then I sent rain on one town, but he withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had dried up. Uh, yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. And uh, then many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did in Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword, uh, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you've not returned unto me. 
Uh, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, yet you've not returned to me. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, and because I will, to prepare to meet your God. So here is God sending those kind of things back in Amos' day to turn people from their sin, but uh, they were hardening themselves. So a similar picture here. Now, uh, when calamities happen, do many national leaders say, well, that's God calling us as a nation to repentance? No, the national leaders don't seem to be saying it, but we should be saying it. Now, uh, let's look at chapter 10. uh, And uh, on your outline, it says 10 to 11, 13. It should say 11, 18. Chapter 10 to 11.18. Now you get an apparent delay at this point. Uh, and uh, just momentary here. And uh, when we come to this seventh judgment. And back in Revelation chapter 10. It says, uh, and Then I saw another mighty angel. Here's the delay before the trumpet's blown. Coming down from heaven, and he was robed in a cloud and a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Here's this huge angel. And he's closely associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. The way he's described with his face shining like the sun, his legs like burning. That's a a lot like the description of Jesus that's given early in the book when John hears his voice and turns and sees Jesus. But this is not Jesus, but he's closely associated with him, and that's why he's described that way. Uh, And uh, it says here that uh, uh, he uh, gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. He shouted, and when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea in the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea that all is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. Uh, and, uh, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet... The mystery of God will be accomplished uh, just as he announced to his servants, his servants uh, the prophets. And then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once again. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel. This is to John, uh, standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Well, this is the word of God. And then you take it, and the Word of God is sweet. But when you absorb it in your life, it's going to bring some painful things. It's going to bring persecution and so on. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand. I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Uh, uh, Here's uh, this... uh, is written to suffering Christians, and he experiences this bitterness because he's suffering himself. He's on, in, on the Isle of Patmos as he writes this, and uh, he's there in, in a suffering situation in a sense. Now, here's uh, the chapter 11, where you get the measurement, first the measurement of the temple of God. Chapter 11, verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the worshippers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. Now, uh, this uh, court of the sanctuary given to the Gentiles of the nations, the sanctuary would picture the true church. And uh, here's the the outer court uh, that could could picture a false church in a sense that it's excluded, uh, it's cast away. The, the worldly church members are not a part of the true sanctuary, the, the true church. 
And uh, then he talks about the treading of the holy city uh, by the nations here. It says uh, uh, that uh, it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. The whole city here, Jerusalem. If you think about it, uh, during the the, uh, whole period of time uh, between Christ's first coming and his second coming, basically the holy city, Jerusalem there, uh, has been in the hands of the nations until, and even today. Certainly not all in the hands of Israel, and the Israel it is in the hands of are not true believers. Note the time here. Note the time element. It says it uh, will be given into their hand for, the, the tr- they will trample on it for 42 months. That's three and a half years. Uh, and we're going to hit that over and over, that three and a half years. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second the two witnesses here you get the two witnesses at this point it says uh, that and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days that's 42 months same period of time three and a half years clothed in sackcloth calling people to repentance now these prophets call people to repentance now 1260 days this 1260 days or 42 months represents again this whole period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. You say, why have that time represented by 42 months? It's already been 1900 years. Well, because of a parallel period in the Old Testament during which time conditions were similar uh, to this period that we're in now. Uh, the time of Elijah the prophet uh, when Jezebel and Ahab were on the throne there of Israel and uh, and uh, God had Elijah pray in 1 Kings 17 that it not rain and he tells him it's not going to rain until you pray again and it was three and a half years it, uh, it didn't rain the heavens are shut up and uh, also you find in 2 Kings chapter 1 that uh, when you would uh, come to take Elijah if a the king said uh, 50 soldiers to take Elijah that fire would come down from heaven and devour these 50 soldiers. And he sends another 50 and fire comes down from heaven and devours them. So in one sense, uh, the people of God are persecuted and yet they're protected by God. And, and uh, here's a witness given. Heaven is shut up. The word of God is demonstrating its power all this time. Uh, now the task to be carried out by these two witnesses is to prophesy or preach or witness as their name implies and uh, who are these two individuals well they're not two individuals Uh, again of course uh, here in Newell or Tim LaHaye or whatever they would be two individuals who are yet to come Uh, it's interesting when you read uh, some of your novels that are out like Left Behind or His End of Days. In this book I read, End of Days, uh, these two witnesses are two men that God raises up in this tribulation period after the church has been raptured. And uh, He's going to use the two witnesses to reach the 144,000 who are going to reach people from every tongue and tribe and nation no man can number. And all this got to happen within seven years. <clears throat> and actually, and according to this, it doesn't even start happening much till halfway through those seven years. That's pretty good movement there. And... Uh, and in this case where they got these two witnesses and they go to New York and they testify there and, and anybody approaches them, tries to take them while they just hold out their hands and, and this fire comes shooting out of their arms and eats everybody up. You know, well, uh, I don't believe that's going to happen that way. I believe it's happening all along. I believe that's the church. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to witness. And this picture is the church witnessing throughout this whole period of time, demonstrating the power of the word of God. Just like it was demonstrated in Elijah's day, the power of the Word of God is demonstrated. It's going to be demonstrated throughout this whole period of time. And God will protect His church, not from being killed. Uh, Jesus said, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Don't be afraid. Nothing can hurt you. Uh, uh, Don't fear men. Fear Him uh, who can only kill the body. Fear Him who has power to cast body and soul into hell. Yes, I send you fear Him. Uh, So it's it's that kind of protection here uh, that is involved. Notice uh, their power here. Uh, in uh, verse 
Let's see, let's start with verse 3 there, chapter 11. It says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and uh, they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of earth. They're not two individuals. They're the two lampstands. A lampstand is the church witnessing. So here again is the church in its witnessing thing, two by two. Jesus sent them out two by two. Uh, the two olive trees, the olive tree gives oil. Oil is where we get the power of the Spirit to equip us to witness. Uh, so, And that's a reference back to Zechariah 4, at two olive trees and so on, uh, and two candlesticks. That's a reference to back to Zechariah 4, where the great lesson in Zechariah 4 is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> notice uh, in uh, verse 5, if anyone tries to harm, harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Like fire came down in Elijah's day there. But again, it's not a literal fire that's going to happen here. Uh, this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. God will, God will deal with those who persecute his church, those trumpets and so on. Uh, these men have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, just like in Elijah's day. Uh, God's word demonstrates his power. Uh, and they have power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, hmm, is there a time coming when the church will have finished its testimony? Yep. It is. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them. The beast is the world in its persecuting of the church, stirred on by hell. The beast, that's the world persecuting the church, uh, stirred on by hell, comes up from the abyss, will kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Well, of course, Newell would say that's Jerusalem. I would say, no, that's the world. Where was our Lord crucified? He was crucified on the streets of the world, the, the world that's alien from God. You've got two cities. Everybody's a member of one city or another. You've got the true Jerusalem. Every true Christian is a part of that city, but then you got the city of the world. Everyone else is a part of that city. Uh, you got a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness and so on. And it's on the streets of that city, Sodom and Egypt, uh, that our Lord was crucified and that the church will be overcome. And when he says that the church is dead here, these two witnesses are dead, doesn't mean there won't be any Christians living at this point. There will be Christians living when Jesus Christ comes back and they'll be caught up to meet him in the air uh, when he comes back. But think of the condition as in its witnessing capacity, boldly witnessing, like Jesus sent out the two and they hold out the lamp. That will be over. The church will have been so persecuted at this point that the conditions will be something like they've been in China or they've been in Russia and so on in times or in Pakistan or places like that where the church is driven underground and it won't be able to carry out its bold outward witnessing approach uh, that's, that time will come and that's what's being pictured here uh, and uh, <clears throat> notice uh, the next thing notice the effect of this death uh, what would you think the effect of the church stopping witnessing would be on the world hallelujah man the world tormented I mean the church tormented us these witnesses bothered us and notice the results here. It says uh, in, uh, in verse 7, When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up the abyss will attack them, overpower them, kill them. Their bodies will be on the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is crucified. For three and a half days, brief period of time, men from every people, tribe, and language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will glory, will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Now the whole world, notice, uh, people from every tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Uh, if this were just two individuals in Jerusalem, 
How are people from every tongue and tribe and nation going to gaze on their bodies? You say, well, television. Okay. Uh, but I would say no, because this is going to be conditions around the world. How would the two individuals there in Jerusalem plague people in every tongue and nation? You see, those two individuals couldn't plague people from every tongue and nation. You're talking about the church and its worldwide witness plaguing people as it calls them to repentance. And now that's stopped. And so the whole world rejoices for a brief period of time. And then notice what happens. Verse 11. After three and a half days, days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. What's that? That's the rapture. That's when the church has caught up. The dead Christians are raised from the dead. The living Christians are caught up. That's the rapture right there. And uh, notice what happens right at that point. In verse 13, at that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Uh, the second war was passed. The third war was coming soon. The seventh trumpet. Uh, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. We moved up to the second coming again where the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord. You got a new heavens, new earth. Everything is new here. Uh, <clears throat> and once again we move to this between the period of the first coming and the second coming. Uh, and uh, verse 16, the 24 elders uh, who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead. Again, we're at the end of time here. And for the rewarding of your servants and prophets, your saints and those who revere your name, both small and great. And for destroying those who destroy the earth. Uh, then God's temple in heaven was opened. Within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and great hailstorm. Uh, now, uh, once again, we've gone through this period as we use these trumpets. And the last trumpet ushered this in. Uh, now, what practical lessons can we draw from this? Well, first, consider the comforting aspect. We know what to expect. Uh, we know that uh, God is protecting us. We know we can expect persecution. We know that even when it comes to us, it cannot really hurt us. We're sealed. Uh, and uh, God will use it to, for our good. Uh, we know that we can expect a day when this persecution increases and uh, when... The witness of the church will be basically driven underground around the world. We know what to expect. That's, that's encouraging to know and uh, not to be thrown off balance when it happens. If you're anticipating missing all this, <clears throat> you're going to be in for a very sad experience, I'm afraid. Now, second, consider the condition of the world. Uh, <clears throat> here's the world that gets more and more irritated at the, at the people of God and and uh, persecutes them more and more and uh, then rejoices when they're silenced. Well, as you look at our day around the world, the increasing persecution of Christians, the, in our own country, a nation with more light than any other nation in the world, the attitudes that are developing more and more towards, quote, the Christian right, which, you know, uh, the Christian right is far from perfect, but the Christian right is just try to stand up for Christian morals, basically. And uh, opposing abortion and those kind of things, and the opposition and and things that would not, wouldn't have happened ten years ago, twenty years ago, happening today, thirty years ago, there's a change taking place. Uh, conditions are getting more and more like we're reading about here, uh, and uh, <clears throat> so we are moving close to the end. And of course, the fact that Israel is back in the land—that's a whole other prophecy, and not in this section here. That's another indication that it's getting, things are getting close to these things actually culminating. Thirdly, consider the challenge. It's still a tremendous task to be done. We are not silenced. Uh, we're part of that world that 
has power to send out missionaries and to support the work of those two witnesses and to be those two witnesses. And there's a job to be done. And we know that we're on the winning team here. And uh, we we know that as we go out, He is with us. And, and He's going to cause all things to work together for good. So, man, there's a lot of encouraging things here. Uh, and uh, notice finally that the contrast between what happens to the one group and the other group. One group is blessed and rewarded and and in fellowship with God and a part of that heavenly Jerusalem and the other group is in terrible, terrible situation. And uh, the majority are in that group. Uh, So it raises the issue, what about me? Uh, Where am I in all of this? Uh, Have I made my peace with the Lord? Am I sure? Has my life changed? And so on. Now let me stop at that point and uh, see... What questions you might have? No question. Great. Well, no. <laughs> okay. Is any significance to the 200 million figure? Uh, there are those who would say, well, that's uh, that's picturing this final battle of Armageddon, whereas I'm saying uh, at this point, no, this 200 million here is picturing more just all wars down throughout all period of time. I don't think that the 200 million is... There's any particularly significant. I think it's just a way of bringing before us all the wars and all their destruction throughout this whole period of time. Other question? Yes? No, when uh, when uh, John is to take this scroll and eat it, that just pictures the Word of God being eaten, I think, by John. But the fact is sweet. The Word of God is sweet. As uh, Jeremiah talks about, your Word was found, not it eaten, it was sweet, and so on. But uh, the fact that it sours in his stomach just pictures that when we do receive and live by the Word of God, it's going to bring its painful aspects in our lives because we're going to be swimming upstream in this world. I mean, here in this country, we don't know much of that kind of pain. But a lot of the world has experienced tremendous persecution for their walk with Christ. We've been amazingly free from it in our nation. Why is the the devil tormenting the world uh, and there where... Well, uh, the, the world is part of his kingdom, of course, uh, but uh, Satan, in some ways, uh, those who are in his kingdom, he blesses them uh, in the sense of gives them material things and that type thing sometimes, and gives them different powers, but ultimately, uh, those, those uh, that he controls and all, the, all Satan's apples got worms, you know, uh, they really bring, well, just look at, look at, our society. Look at all the painful things that happen to those who don't follow the Lord and in terms of uh, disease like AIDS or whatever, in terms of, of uh, drunkenness, in terms of broken families and all those kind of things. And of course, the Christians aren't totally uh, saved from that either. But boy, when you follow the, the Satan's ways, he, he promises all these blessings, you know, but they all turn out to be terribly painful. Well, yeah, these things that affect the sea, just when he talks about a third of the ships and, uh, and a third of the creatures in the sea, that's just all maritime disasters uh, and pollution, water pollution, sure, that could be included. All that type thing throughout all of history. That's uh, men are responsible, Satan maybe brings some of this about, but ultimately these are God's punishments on the world for his persecution of Christians. You say, well, Christians experience it too. True, but it doesn't really hurt them because God used it for their good. They, the question is, of the when we talk about 144,000 uh, representing the whole church throughout this, not just this whole period of time, but throughout both Testaments, really, uh, we've said, uh, the 24 elders, in other words, these 144,000 would represent a number, just like the 24 represent uh, the whole church. And you say, but they are listed as being from the 12 tribes of Israel. True, 12,000 from each tribe are mentioned, and uh, you get a, you get some changes in the tribes there, but anyway, uh, rather than those being literal Jews, when you look at the symbolism of 144,000, you find that we are called true Jews. You know, he says a true Jew is is someone uh, who uh, has that new heart. It's not one who's outwardly a Jew, but one who's inwardly a Jew, uh, who has a faith like Abraham. We're children of Abraham, so. These would be true Jews, and uh, and uh, of course the the view of say Tim LaHaye or something. These would be 
literal Jews who come to Christ after the church is raptured, and they are 144,000, or literally 12,000 from each tribe uh, who come to him. But I'd say, no, when you look at the measurement of the of the uh, New Jerusalem, you see it's the same kind of 144 of the walls and that type thing, uh, that we're dealing with the, with the true church. And uh, that uh, also I, there's no real evidence in my mind that uh, that we're... Don't misunderstand me. I believe that Israel is going to be converted before Christ comes back. I think that's going to take place. And you're going to have many Jews turn to Christ before he returns. But I don't believe that the church is going to be raptured and then you're going to have a lot of Jews converted who evangelize the rest of the world for seven years there. Uh, 144,000 of them. I believe that that 144,000 is picturing symbolically uh, the whole church uh, for all of time. Why did he do it in symbol? Why did God do it in symbol? Well, that's a good question. Uh, why he did it in symbol? Uh, of course, this isn't the only place where he uses a lot of symbols. If you read Ezekiel and Daniel, you find God using a lot of symbols. Uh, but uh, it could be that uh, because this is going to be circulated around, and uh, Rome was was one of the major agents doing the persecuting, and this is being circulated around the Roman Empire, that God did it this way so that uh, Christians could be reading about these things and encouraged by them without uh, the Rome understanding exactly what was involved here. That that could be one reason God did it that way. Now, why don't you ask him when you get up there? But, uh, well, the letters to the churches, uh, you got those are seven literal churches of John's day, church in Laodicea, the church in Ephesus, and so on. Uh, but they and the conditions in those churches varied. Some were getting cold. Some were uh, uh, persecuted and faithful and so on. Each of them, uh, he would have some encouragement. He have a warning for you know and so on. And and uh, those picture the whole church throughout this whole period of time. And so it's all very applicable to us. Uh, they're not seven different periods of church history, but they are the the church. And it also symbolized by these lampstands, the seven lampstands, seven a number of completeness. And so. Here's the church holding out the light, but it's an imperfect church. And so Christ is, a, is walking among the lampstands. He's here, among, and he's addressing to us. Uh, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and I'm going to bless you because of this and because of this. Those, those letters are addressed to us, in a sense, as part of his church. And uh, so uh, that's, that just represents the whole church for this whole period of time. So, I will give to each of the tree of life. Yeah, he who overcomes, I will give to thee the tree of the life. That's addressed to every Christian, uh, that you've got to overcome. If the world and the flesh and the devil overcome you, you're not going to enter heaven. You're not going to eat of the tree of life. If you're a true Christian, you're going to overcome. True Christians are overcomers. That doesn't mean we're perfect. Uh, we sin. But remember it says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Our faith without works is not true faith. Uh, Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. So... All true Christians overcome. Now, some overcome more than others overcome. Uh, but all true Christians are overcomers. They, uh, they swim upstream. And that's the evidence I am a true Christian. So that's just one of those uh, encouraging but warning statements that's addressed to us. Yeah, right on the white horse, I, I've said I think it's Christ riding forth first because of being a white horse when he comes on a horse and... Uh, with the armies of heaven behind him? Yes, I think so. Right. Yes. Well, I would say that none of those plagues are going to harm the people who are sealed. Uh, that that sealing, of course, takes place all along. And that you're sealed and I'm sealed if I'm a true believer. And that none of these plagues, these judgments that God sends on the world, are going to really harm us. Uh, uh, they... He'll use those as part of the refining process. In First Peter, where he talks about we're ore that's refined. He writes to them about their suffering and how God uses that to refine you, to remove sin from our lives and that kind of thing. Think of the pain that Paul went through with his thorn in the flesh. And the thorn in the flesh was from Satan, in a sense. He says, a messenger of Satan. He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, some very painful trial. Uh, it says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Satan's trying to get at Paul to hurt his ministry. God lets Satan get at Paul to help his ministry. 
And Paul says, I asked the Lord to remove it three times. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, well, in other words, it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. When, I, when this makes me sense my weakness and I have to rely on you, then I get your power while I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here's God taking something that uh, Satan is attacking Paul with, but letting him get through for Paul's good. So I think that's, that's the way God uses these, these things in the Christian's life, who's sealed. Other question? Yes? No, those locusts have been here for 1,900 years and prior to that too. And they're doing their dirty work. Uh, I'll introduce you to a couple if you'd like me to. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, uh, the beast out of the sea here... Uh, I think probably that, that may well be the Antichrist there. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, we will take a look at that when we get there. And, and that would just be, the, in a sense, you got the world and its persecution of the Christian culminating in an individual here when you get to the Antichrist. And of course, Satan raises him up. But, uh, and that will take place. The Antichrist will be a particular figure. The spirit of Antichrist is here already. And manifest itself in false teaching and in persecution, but there will be a literal individual who will come who will be the Antichrist. And we'll hit that as we go through the book. I was reading a very popular man that I have a great respect for who takes uh, the view of this is all going to happen during the tribulation period, and he says when this third of the sun is destroyed and all this, he says it is really going to affect conditions on the earth. Uh, Well, you better believe it would. (laughs) And uh, I would say that's just... uh, uh, a way of describing again uh, events that take place whether it's plagues or this or that whether it's bad weather whatever it is it takes place on the earth during this whole period of time like you know he's, he's given very broad pictures here of, of God sending judgment he throws down this burning uh, fire on the earth and then he gets these trumpets trumpets warn they don't totally wipe out that'll come later but a third of the sun, a third of the sea, and all this type thing. This is just these plagues. And they're not, you can't say, well, this is uh, specifically, this represents the plague of, of uh, some disease. or this. Re- it's just in general. And so all, all calamities that would uh, kind of best fit under that. I don't know what calamities would best fit under that, but probably weather and those kind of things might fit under that. Uh, it, uh, that's what's being. It's not a. It's not that literally a day is going to come when a third of the sun is going to be blown up or something to cease to be. The whole sun is going to cease to be at one point probably because you're going to get a whole new universe. So Earth's going. The, the sky is going to roll up like a scroll. And the Earth's going to be destroyed. But that's that's picturing that that here that third of the sun is picturing something going on now and all along. The point is being made here that you when. You had prophecies about the first coming of Christ. Uh, they were very literal and were fulfilled literally, like the virgin birth, or like the thirty pieces of silver crucified with wicked men, buried in a rich man's tomb, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and so on. Uh, why do we say that these are symbolic? Well, first of all, just the, the whole book of Revelation is done in symbol, for one thing. Second, uh, some of the things that are predicted about Christ's first coming. Uh, really were not fulfilled so literally in my opinion so, for instance he was going to have a kingdom of peace and uh, he would usher in this kingdom of peace well uh, <clears throat> that uh, hadn't been real peaceful you know uh, in one sense it's peaceful he says my peace I give unto you and so on but uh, then he, he talks about uh, that I came not to bring peace but a sword uh, <clears throat> it uh, there is a reference there to the mountain of the Lord's house being exalted and all nations flowing into that mountain and so on. Well, uh, that's taking place right now, but it represents the church and nations are flowing in. And uh, the word of the Lord is going out from Jerusalem, but it's not a literal Jerusalem. It's the church and, and that type of thing. So those are Old Testament prophecies about His first coming. And uh, those are being fulfilled now. Uh, so uh, that, uh, even even those old present prophecies about his first coming, some of those were more symbolic than they uh, were literal. Although a lot of them were literally fulfilled, and there will be a literal 
uh, destruction of heaven and earth, and, and we see this here, and there will be a literal rolling up of the sky and those kind of things. So as we move along here, some of the things are literal uh, in terms of events that will happen at a point. But a lot of it's done in symbolism, and uh, you just you pick that up from the seven lampstands and all the seven churches and all that type of thing. Okay, we need to stop, and uh, then we pick up next week. But you're asking good questions. <clears throat> Let's have prayer. <laughs> I'm going to go study. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for your spirit. And Father, we thank you for uh, all men you've raised up down through the centuries to teach. And Father, none of us have the whole truth about this. And we we thank you that our, our uh, walk with you and our uh, effectiveness for you it doesn't depend on our view of the book of Revelation, Lord. We'd all be in trouble. But, Father, we do believe you've revealed this to help us and prepare us, and so we pray you'd help us as we wrestle with it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.